Hello, and welcome to episode 18 of the Bible Q&A with Pastor Stephen. My name is Stephen Pace, and I'm the senior pastor at Decatur Bible Church in Decatur, Michigan. This podcast attempts to answer Bible questions in a clear but thorough manner. If you would like to have a Bible-related question considered for a future episode, you can email me your question at pastorstephendbc at gmail.com. Again, that's pastor, S-T-E-V-E-N-D-B-C at gmail.com. In this episode, we'll be looking at three Bible-related questions, so go ahead and grab your Bibles and let's get started. The first question is, Greetings, Pastor Stephen. 1 Corinthians 13.10 says, But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. What is the perfect that is to come in this verse, and what is the partial? I know some translations refer to the perfect as completeness. Thanks. In order to answer this question, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13.10. Now, as you're turning there, we probably are all familiar with this chapter, sometimes referred to as the love chapter. But it's important to also remember that chapter 13 is, if you will, sandwiched in between 12 and 14. In both of those chapters, Paul is speaking of, if you will, the use of various spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And in chapter 13, he speaks about the supremacy or excellence of love. Love, of course, will endure for all of eternity. The question is, and let's read the verse, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. 1 Corinthians 13.10. So as the person who asked the question states correctly, the word there sometimes for perfect is translated as complete or completeness. It comes from the Greek word teleos, which means having reached its end, mature, complete, or perfect. So again, that's why you'll typically have either complete or perfect in terms of translating teleos, but it means maturity having reached its end. So then partial, of course, would be the opposite of teleos, imperfection, immaturity, incomplete, having not reached its end, if you will. So what is the verse referring to? What is Paul speaking of that will be complete one day and that which is partial will be done away with? Basically, what you'll come to if you study this in detail is three views. Some of them have some, if you will, variations to them. So I'm going to review the three and then tell you my preference The first view is somewhat of a, if you will, minority view. It does have some similarities, actually, though, to the second and third. But basically, it would just be stating that one day we will all have, meaning Christians, will all have complete, full knowledge of God and about God. Some interpreters will take this to be that that will be when we are God-like, 
So the first view, again, not too many people hold to just this view, but the idea is that it just is a simple way of saying Paul is rather complete, full truth of and about God. So when some time comes in the future, we'll have complete, full knowledge of and about everything related to God. I do not hold to this particular view. I think it has a lot of shortcomings to it. And I don't believe that we will ever reach the point where we have a full, complete grasp of who God is. Um, so I don't tend to favor this view. Now, the second and the third view, those are the ones that you'll typically have, like in your study Bibles. And there are individuals who hold to the second and the third one that I respect. And uh, But I'll give you my preference in a moment, but the second view is complete canon of Scripture. So whereas the first one just has this general idea of complete truth and knowledge about God, the second view is a very popular view, which is that Paul's referring to the time in which we will have the complete Scripture, the complete canon of Scripture. We would think of that today as the 66 books of the Bible, so the Old Testament course, was complete at the time of the writing of 1 Corinthians. Paul is looking to the future when God's revelation is complete. In other words, the additional New Testament books. And so basically what this would state is that once that time comes, we'll have full knowledge. God will have, in other words, revealed all the truth that he's going to. There would be no longer need of certain gifts and giftings. They would just not be needed anymore because you have the full canon of Scripture. Now, this, of course, does have some positives to it, which is it does remind us that the canon of Scripture is closed. Uh, we have God's complete full revelation, so God is not continuously giving us, if you will, new books today uh, and those sorts of things. So, of course, that is a positive and a good reminder but one of the things that I think that is problematic with this view is that even though we have the full Bible today, we are obviously not all fully mature. We're not all, not all completely fully complete and such. I also think that one shortcoming to this view is in verse 12. You'll notice in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12, for now, meaning in the present tense, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. So Paul is again looking into the future. He says presently we only see dimly. We, we don't see in its, if you will, its completeness. There's somewhat of an ambiguity to things. But one day we'll see face to face, we'll know completely. So if you take verse 12 literally, face to face, that one day we will see and or be in the presence of the Lord, uh, of course the scriptures do not do that. The scriptures, of course, do many great things for us. They help form us into the image of Christ. Uh, they bring about salvation and those sorts of things. They give us God's promises but, of course, they do not take us into God's presence in, in the sense of being before him, meaning in a literal way. 
So the first and the second are refers to the whole complete truth of and about God. The second view is the complete canon of Scripture. And so the partial that we have would be done away with our partial, partial knowledge, partial in terms of not complete Bible, will one day be done away with. Or the third view, which is what I would characterize as eschatology. There's a couple of variations to this. So basically what it would be saying is that when the perfect comes, and this would be either the second coming, so when Christ returns, or the new heavens and the new earth, or actually at the rapture, those sorts of eschatology-related items, that when those times come, there will be complete and there will be perfection for God's people. The one thing in favor of this view is that each of these, so in other words, if when Christ comes, whether it be at the second coming, the rapture, or the new heavens and the new earth, we will be in the Lord's presence. And so that helps with the face-to-face. -face. Verse 12, uh, when he comes, we also know that there will be maturity, completion, in terms of forming us into the image of Christ. If you have your Bibles, if you look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, I think this verse is helpful here. Paul there says in Philippians 1, 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So you'll notice where Paul there looks to a time in which God will complete, perfect his work in us. And, of course, he started the work when we trusted in him for faith, Jesus Christ. And he continues to work in us. We think of that as sanctification. And he will complete or mature, perfect that, of course, at the day of Christ. So there Paul is, of course, looking into the future and seeing when God will complete his work in us. There will no longer be any, if you take the word teleos and go backwards, there will no longer be any imperfections, immaturities, incompleteness in us, and God will have completed his work in us. And so this is the idea of the third view with eschatology, is that that would be the time in which Paul is referring to, that when the perfect comes, the day of Christ that God will, of course, complete his work in us. And so as we look at these three views, there's some similarities, some overlappings, but essentially what you have is that Paul is either referring to complete truth and knowledge of God, or he's speaking of the complete canon of Scripture, or the third view, which is my preference, uh, related to eschatology, that at the day of Christ, whether that be the rapture or the second coming, perhaps the new heavens and the new earth, but that at that point we'll be in the Lord's presence face to face forever, will also be the time in which God completes his work in us. So hopefully that helps clarify the options there and sort of the pros and cons, if you will, to the three views. Now, for our trivia question for this episode, did the Israelites cross the Red Sea during the day or the night? So let me read it again. 
Did the Israelites cross the Red Sea during the day or the night? So to answer this, we'll need to turn to the book of Exodus. In fact, Exodus 14, and we'll look at verse 19. There is where we see the prompting of the question and the where we'll find the answer, the parting of the Red Sea. So in Exodus 14, beginning in verse 19, it says, The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of God moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came about between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. And so the answer to the question is that the Lord, of course, created and provided a pillar of light in the night or in the nighttime there. And that served as the Lord's way of providing light among the darkness, but of course was the way in which he provided deliverance and protection of his people as he was bringing them out of Egypt, uh, leading them to the promised land. Now for our third and final question, Pastor, as I read through the Gospels, I noticed Herod is mentioned a lot. Is there one Herod throughout the Gospels or more? Now, this is a common question, and the Gospels do have Herod mentioned at various times. In fact, you'll even find Herod in the book of Acts. And so is there a way to try to keep them straight in your head? Let me give you sort of an overview of the Herods because there are various Herods, not just one. And that's really the key to the question is that there are multiple Herods from, if you will, the gospel accounts, even on into the book of Acts. So you'll have, for example, Herod the Great, and he was around from around 37 to 4 B.C., You'll see him in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, and also in Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. So that's Herod the Great, Matthew 2, 1, Luke 1, 5. Next is Herod Antipas, who is in Luke chapter 3 and verse 1. You'll also see him in Luke 13, 31, and Luke 23, 7. Now, in Matthew's account, in chapter 2, verse 22, you have Archelaus. So that's Archelaus, and that's one of Herod's the great sons. Matthew 2, 22. Then you have in Luke 3, 1, again, you have a different one there. You have Herod, Philip II. And then as you keep going, you'll run across in the book of Acts, Herod Agrippa I, and then Herod Agrippa II. So in the book of Acts, chapter 12, 
you'll see, for example, Herod Agrippa I. And then in the latter part of the book of Acts, chapter 25 and 26, you'll see Herod Agrippa II. So this is a common issue that comes up that causes some confusion. So again, you have Herod, just the title, if you will, Herod the Great. And then you have, for example, his three sons, Herod Antipas and Archelaus and Philip II. And then an easy way to think of it is Agrippa I and Agrippa II are in the book of Acts. So that is why when you read through it, you've got the various Herods over the various period of years in the Gospels, as well as in the book of Acts. So hopefully that helps kind of clarify that. Well, this concludes today's episode. Thank you for tuning in, and be sure to tune in for our next episode. And until then, God bless.